0: Welcome to the Asian Madness Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica, and this podcast will be focusing on the continent of Asia, including true crime, urban legends, superstitions, mysteries, and maybe even some personal stories. If this is something you think you might enjoy, I encourage you to try out my podcast. Please note that I am new to the game and I am still exploring editing and recording techniques. Thank you and let the madness begin. Taiwan, formerly known as the island Formosa, currently also known as the Republic of China, It's a small island located off the coast of China. The capital city is Taipei City. Population, as of 2017, 23.5 million. Taiwan is about 14,000 square miles. And to give you a better idea, approximately 19 Taiwans make up one state of Texas. The official language is Chinese Mandarin, For the first episode of the Asian Madness podcast, we will be traveling to Taiwan, which is also where I'm from. We will be exploring the case of the kidnapping and murder of a 16-year-old girl. This episode will contain some graphic and disturbing details, so please proceed with caution. Before I begin, I would like to give a brief overview of crime in Taiwan. Basically, crime rate is really low. I have been to many places and lived in a few different countries, and Taiwan is easily one of the safest countries out there. If you don't believe me, google it. We get the occasional murders, usually over money or love, but if you were to ask me to tell you about serial killers, my mind goes blank. We do not have a Ted Bundy, and we don't have a John Wayne Gacy. Murders, kidnappings, disappearances, they're all pretty rare. This is why my podcast is going to focus on Asia as a whole. If I were to focus on Taiwan, this podcast would be over within like 10 episodes, and that's not cool for me. Okay, now back to the story. The day was April 14th, 1997. It started out just like any other day for a 16-year-old Xiao Yan Pai. She woke up early, got dressed, and left for school except she would never make it to school. This would be the last time anyone would ever see her alive and well. What made this kidnapping murder case extra high profile, and in a way special, was due to her family background. Xiaoyan was the only daughter to a Japanese manga artist, Kajiwara Iki, and Taiwanese singer, actress, and TV show host, Pingping Pai. If you don't know what manga is, It's basically Japanese-style comics. Some examples of the very popular ones would include One Piece, Naruto, Bleach, and Death Note. The American adaptation of Death Note was recently released on Netflix. If you're curious, you should definitely go check it out. The two had met in Japan, gotten married in 1978, but divorced in 1981, a year after the birth of Xiaoyan. Kajiwara Iki died a few years later, in 1987. As the daughter of a very famous woman in Taiwan, it's only logical that this would be a high-profile case with immediate action from law enforcement. On the day of the kidnapping, Ping Ping Pai, whom I will refer to as Pai from now on, received a ransom phone call instructing her to go to a golf course nearby later that evening. She did as she was told, But instead of seeing her daughter or meeting her kidnappers, all she found was a pile of random items. Upon closer inspection, she found a ransom note demanding five million US dollars. Three nude photos of her daughter and a severed pinky finger. And yes, the finger belonged to her daughter. I assume it was the kidnappers way of showing that they yes, we had her, and that no, we are not playing around with you. This was when the task force, 0414, was assembled to find the kidnappers and to bring Xiao Yan home safely. So, over the next few days, several untraceable phone calls would be made to Pi from a burner phone. They were attempting to set up the money drop, but every time she would arrive with the money, no one was there. It was actually later said that the kidnappers were there, but because since it was such a huge case, there were too many police officers and news agencies following Pi everywhere she went, and that probably spooked the kidnappers away. So by this time, the task force had clues and found out the names of the three perpetrators, and they were nowhere to be found. The names of the three men were Qingxing Chen, Tianming Kao, and Shun Lin. These names are probably hard to remember and a bit confusing to you, so for the sake of making it easier, I will refer to these assholes by their last names, Chen, Kao, and Lin. The days continued on, and on April 25th, the police located Chen and Lin hiding out. This led to a short shootout between them and the police. Unfortunately, these two escaped, but Chen's wife and her brother were captured and taken in for questioning. The police were fairly confident that Xiaoyan was still alive at this point, and Pai held a press conference that day pleading to the nation to help bring her daughter back home. But just three days later, on the 28th, everyone's worst nightmare would come true. The body of 16-year-old Xiao Yan would be discovered in a drainage ditch. She was naked, her body was mutilated, she was bound and tied to dumbbells to weigh her down, and she was obviously missing one of her pinkies. This was the first piece of information used to confirm the identity of the body. According to her autopsy report, she had been deceased for about 8-10 to days before being discovered. In other words, while they were negotiating her ransom and setting up money drops, this girl was already dead. Her cause of death was somewhat complicated. She had trauma to the head, abdominal areas, kidney rupture, severe blood loss, and also she was strangled with a nylon string. As of all that wasn't enough, she was also said to be raped repeatedly. Her autopsy was performed by Dr. Yang. Dr. Yang participated in many investigations of high-profile killings and murders throughout his years as a forensic pathologist. He was a highly respected individual in this field, and his reputation paralleled that of the famous Dr. Henry C. Lee. If you don't know who that is, Dr. Lee assisted in cases involving Michael Peterson and O.J. Simpson and last year he appeared in the John JonBenet Ramsey documentary. So now that Xiao Yan's body has been found, the three assholes were officially on the run. And although they were wanted men, they were most definitely not laying low. In June, they kidnapped a government official and received a ransom of five million US dollars. In August, they kidnapped another wealthy businessman and they also received a large sum. They got away both times. After the ransom of the businessman, on August 19th, the police had cornered two of these assholes, Lin and Gao. Guns were fired and one man was lost on each side that day. Lin was shot six times and died on the spot. This entire shit show was caught in camera and this would be the first live shootout to air in Taiwanese news. Okay, one down, two to go. So after the death of Lin, Cao and Chan probably decided to lay low for a while, which is why they were safely hidden away for at least another two months. On October 23rd, the two men entered a plastic surgery clinic and held the surgeon, his wife, and a nurse hostage. The two men demanded surgery done on their faces in order to change and disguise their looks. Once the doctor did as was told, the two assholes raped the 21-year-old nurse, tied them up, and shot them in the head. The cat-and-mouse chase continued on, and eventually, on November 17th, Cal was spotted by police, and once he realized he would not be able to make an escape he turned the gun on himself. So, another one down, one more to go. As if they haven't done enough damage to the people and to the community, Chen, the single asshole left from the trio, begins to panic. He decides to break into the South African embassy in Taiwan on the night of November 18th, one day after Cao killed himself. He entered through the garage grabbed the 12-year-old Christine Alexander who was playing the piano and took her at gunpoint to look for the rest of her family. Christine Alexander will tell you exactly what happened that night. I saw a man coming around the corner and it was and he was pointing a gun at me. So I got up and I walked over to him and he took me his arm around my neck and he put the gun at my head. I thought it was a dream, but when I saw the gun and I saw his face, I was very scared. After he had taken me upstairs and tied me up, then I, was, I kept on saying to my sister, I know I'm going to die, and I felt that I was going to die. And, um... Chen held Colonel Edward McGill Alexander and his whole family hostage. And of course, this caused major chaos from law enforcement and from the media. Chen demanded that he be interviewed by foreign news agencies, such as CNN, claiming that he was being wrongfully persecuted by his own country. Uh, yeah, sure. So Jason Blatt, a reporter for the English news China Post, conducted one of the first many interviews from that horrible night where Chen talked about his childhood, his very difficult life, and actually attempted to make himself sound more like a hero rather than the raping, murdering asshole that he actually is. After many phone calls, interviews, and negotiations, he eventually released all of his hostages and surrendered the next day. Two of the hostages suffered gunshot wounds, but everyone made it out alive. Now that we have finally reached the end of the seven-month manhunt, allow me to briefly give you an idea of who these three men were. There wasn't much information I could gather on Lin and Cao, but both were Chen's followers and participated in any different organized operations. Chen, the mastermind behind the kidnapping, was raised by his grandmother, mother, and stepfather. As a boy, he was constantly caught stealing and bullying other kids. He was put in a juvenile detention center for two months for stabbing a classmate. And why did he stab him, you ask? Because he didn't like him. Sounds like a good reason, right? So, his first official arrest happened when he was around 18. He was arrested for breaking and entering, and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. But due to the political climate change, He was let out early, and once he was let out, he devoted his life to crime. During the sentencing phase, DNA testing showed that he had raped and assaulted at least 19 victims, with ages ranging from 13 to 60. Unfortunately, but somewhat understandably, many women were reluctant to report their rape, and according to Chen, his victim count should be at least 50. In January 23rd of 1998, Chen received five death sentences and two life sentences. Neither Chen's wife or her brother received any time. They both insisted that they had no idea of the kidnappings and were not involved whatsoever. According to his wife, She was only concerned with whether they had money or not, so as long as he was bringing in some income, she didn't really care what was happening and she did not want to know. I don't believe her. Do you? During his time in prison, Chen converted to Christianity and was baptized. He was executed on October 6, 1999 by firing squad. He was 41 years old. As a child, what really stuck in my mind all these years was imagining her mother receiving her daughter's finger and the way her daughter was discovered in a ditch. It was It's very gruesome and morbid, but at the same time I was really fascinated, but more in a how-could-this-even-be-true kind of way. The whole country and society was in an enormous shock and transformation because of this crime and many issues came under scrutiny. Obviously, political parties were fighting over whose fault it was, and they were all busy blaming each other. Everything always has to turn political. The media was also severely criticized for obstructing and interfering with the investigation. Many times they were all over the crime scenes and at the shootouts, printing sensitive and confidential information. At one time, it caused the police department to spend around 12,000 U.S. dollars in a single day to buy all the newspapers, just so the perpetrators would not get the confidential information. So insane. And worst of all, they printed a photo of the deceased girl in the newspaper. Talk about being insensitive. That is disrespectful and downright disgusting. A police officer also took credit for killing one of the perpetrators during the shootout. Except he was lying. He was called out for it, and he was stripped of the honor badge he was about to receive. People began paying more attention to the safety of both women and children. The police department upped their training for emergency cases like these, including hostage negotiation training. It might not be fair to blame them for not working efficiently or fast enough. Because nothing like this has ever happened before. So many firsts in a short span of time. But of course, the government and the police force were severely criticized for only paying attention to the rich and the famous. A lot of parents came out during this time telling everyone that they had a missing child. Why was anyone doing anything about it? Because they weren't rich? And because they weren't famous? I suppose this is something that happens in every single society. Pai also eventually set up a cultural foundation, aiming to help children and teens enforce morals and to denounce crime. She is also a strong advocate of the death penalty. She has continuously attempted to conceive another child, but it has never worked out for her. I'm not a mother, so I can only imagine the pain she must have felt. She stated in an interview earlier this year, in April, 20 years after her daughter's murder, saying that not only did they kill my daughter, they have also murdered me. She still keeps many of her daughter's belongings, including accessories and furniture. She has stayed strong and is still a very prominent figure in the entertainment world of Taiwan. Chen had two sons at the time, both under the age of six. After their father was arrested and executed, they continued to live at home with their mother, who at the time was working as a sex worker. Both boys experienced a lot of negative treatment, as one would imagine. So, with the help of a local Taiwanese pastor, they have since been adopted by a couple in the United States. Both are in their 20s and seem to be doing well. They seldom talk about or acknowledge their past. I mean... I wouldn't want to talk about it either. Taiwan and South Africa cut diplomatic ties the following year, but they both denied that it had anything to do with the hostage situation the colonel's family was in. A couple years later, Edward McGill Alexander went on to write a book about his experience, titled Hostage in Taipei. So there you have it one of the most heinous and complicated crimes in Taiwan history. Obviously, this is not as crazy or as sick as a lot of the crimes we hear, like those told in other true crime podcasts. My purpose isn't to bring you all the shock, blood, and gore associated with the crime, but rather a look into something that happened in a country where it was considered safe and sound for kids and for women. Before I end this episode, I would like to play an excerpt of one of Pai's most recent songs. Like I mentioned earlier, she's a singer and she sings in Taiwanese, not in Mandarin. In other words, I don't really understand it. Taiwanese is mostly considered a dialect spoken by a portion of the people, including the older generation. So this song is basically about love, and the lyrics talk about how people look for love, fall in love, But for many reasons, it doesn't work out. That's my best guess, though, because, like I said, I don't really understand the language. So, without further ado. I would really like to thank the people who have inspired me, encouraged me, and pushed me to create this podcast. It's very intimidating and it takes a lot of time to get everything together. I also appreciate everyone who gave my podcast a chance. In the end, I'm just a girl sitting in front of a cheap microphone hoping to share my interests with the world. So on that note, if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. It would mean the world to me. Please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at AsianMadnessPod for more information and show notes. You can also email me at AsianMadnessPod at gmail.com for any suggestions. I'm your host, Jessica, a.k.a. The Mad Asian. Till next time.